Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to another episode of From the Ashes. I'm here with returning guest, Melissa Barbash. You were on episode 30. We were talking about being in love with an addict, and here we are a lot later than that to hear more of your story. And we, we decided to title this one, Wanting Something Better. So I wanted to bring you back to hear the next phase of your story and kind of where you went um, around career change, around finding your own voice, setting boundaries, all those things we talk about a ton in therapy. It's just so helpful to get a real story about that. So welcome back to the show. Really happy to have you back. Thank you. I was excited to be invited back. I was surprised that I was excited and I was. Not because of you, Mark, because of my own nervousness. <laughs> right. I know. You said you were only what, like 60% nervous this time instead mm-hmm. of 100%? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, much better. We'll take those. We'll take those. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I do want to talk about wanting something better. Um, it feels like wanting something better than a lot of things, though, when you say that. Um, like wanting something better than working in an agency job. Um, wanting something better than saying yes all the time to people. Um, and then being with an active addict as well. Like so many things I wanted different after that relationship was over. So yes, that's true. You know, there, there's something, I wonder if you connect this because this is as a therapist, a point of empathy that's hard for me to to grok, right? So I also kept myself small in my life, but it was because I feel like I couldn't do it. Like I wasn't strong enough or I wasn't able to, or people didn't like me. Like it was very centered on me. But what I hear from a lot of my clients and a lot of my female clients actually in particular is why I'm asking you is the idea of deserving something, right? Like I don't deserve to be happier. I don't deserve to have a better life. I don't deserve to have X, Y, or Z. I'm curious if that that idea of deserving came up for you. Um, I don't know if it came up for me personally in my life. I, I What comes up for me when you say the word deserve is um, that's how I used to think about leaving things. Meaning um, I would say that person doesn't deserve to be left um, or what will happen at this job if I leave? Like, I, I guess it's a form of, I don't deserve to leave. I have to stay. Um, when, so the word deserving is very interesting to me. What came up for me also was not even deserving, but what it's like to be a woman and have to kind of like fight your way through life. I don't even know if that concept, what do I deserve was part of my vocabulary when I was younger, do I deserve this? It was more like, I have to fight my way through everything. How do I get, how do I get what I need? I don't know if I had time to stop and think about, do I deserve this? 
Um, I want to think about that a little bit more in this moment, but we're on a radio, on the on a podcast. <laughs> I don't think I can just sit here and have dead air. Um, but those two things come up for me. Like, I don't know if I identify exactly with that word, but I'm very intrigued by what you're saying. Yeah. Well, how are we telling about fighting through life then? Because it sounds like that is re- more resonant for you. Yeah. I mean, it feels like life has been, always been a fight. Um, fighting to um, make enough money, fighting to get the quote unquote right job that will get you to the next step. Um, fighting to figure out if I'm allowed to leave this or if I'm going to be okay if I leave this. Um, I've also had to fight for myself at jobs um, with respect to uh, feeling really um, and not empowered at all. Um, And I've had to fight through illness. Um, uh, What else? relationships that's I just it feels like a constant fight I mean until a few years ago it feels like a constant fight and sometimes I still fight with myself um like I'll I'll get I'll get moving on um how to make everybody happy when they haven't asked me to do that um and that comes from if I if I don't consider people ahead of time eventually they're going to tell me that they're unhappy and blow up at me Um, Because in my life, people don't actually tell me um, that they're unhappy until they let me know with other signals. So I'm always trying to, or I used to be always trying to make everybody happy so that, um, I guess, so that there were no blowups anymore. I know that was a lot to say, but yes, I, I feel like I fight at everything. Yeah, this, this this idea, and I can relate to it too in my story, of this ever-present threat, this like unspoken time bomb that lives within people. That sounds like you were spending a lot of time trying to manage, right? Anticipating people's needs, making sure that they were happy, being agreeable, whatever it is, to prevent this thing from happening. That's, that is such a burden to live with. I mean, it, it's a really, it's a mental prison, truly. It is a mental prison. And I, I for a while, I thought that that, you know, after grad school, I thought that that was the way you were supposed to do therapy because we were taught to kind of take care of everybody um, and use the word help to, to everybody. But I, I much more resonate with that my job is now to understand people rather than to just plunge and help them um, because I, I don't have all the answers all the time and I certainly don't have them immediately for people because I don't know them yet. So it, it I I still catch myself trying to anticipate people's needs uh, in therapy and just in my life. Um, I'm 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 getting married. That's hard for me to say. Um, <laughs> it's not a thing that I um, ever thought I would do, but I'm very happy with the way that I'm choosing to do it. Um, and I'm I'm already making myself crazy with who to please and when to please and how to do that. And I just have to keep, I have to keep moving out of that. So it's still a a struggle, but it's a very, I'm very aware of it now. So I don't get sucked into it anymore. Mm -hmm. So that feels really good. 
Yeah, I feel like weddings are like the big one where there's so many <laughs> stakeholders and people that have been out of our lives forever all of a sudden just have strong opinions about everything. Yes, yes, strong opinions. And then you have to think, can this person get there? Is this going to be okay? Are they going to be happy? What are they going to do while they're there? And I, after all of those questions came up and I didn't sleep for a night, I said, oh, okay, I'm doing it again. So I'm trying to anticipate everything that everybody needs. So it's something that lives inside of me that over the past few years has completely um, um, or is not is not as intense at all. And I can really work through it. But for, I don't know, 30 something years of my life, it was just there. And I just I just did for everyone all the time, uh, no matter what. And it really got me in a lot of trouble with myself. Um, and it didn't get me what I wanted ever. Uh, and it didn't get the other person what they wanted ever either. I know that's the, that's the sick <laughs> joke of it. Right? Is that the pleasing behavior is also really ineffective. It's like you spend all of your time and energy trying to like crack the code and it turns out it's the wrong code. Anyway, it is even yeah. after all that. Yeah. People still leave. They still yell. They still don't like what you did. They, and all the things still happen and you're just depleted then and they're fine because they didn't have to do any of that worrying. So I, I it's a, it's a really difficult thing that I want that I try to help people through because I don't want people to have to live that way myself. I don't want to have to live that way. I have a really good support system that helps me through it. Um, and it feels kind of weird saying that. Uh, on a podcast, like being a therapist, you know, kind of being vulnerable to show people, um, I struggle with this too. Uh, that feels, I don't know what the word is. Um, it feels scary to say that out loud, exposing, uh, I think, even though I, I don't think I'm hiding it from people, but it's always different. I think when people learn something about me at a different level. They learn that you're a human too. <laughs> they learn that I'm a human. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> no, I, I'm okay with them knowing that I'm a human. I, uh, but I truly believe even if it's something that I have struggled with, like I think I'm very adept at helping people understand it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure because I've struggled with it too. Right. I mean, that's the thing, or, you know, it's kind of like the mythological wound as you take that wound and that becomes your greatest strength if you can work on it. Mm -hmm. right? If you, the hero goes to the underworld and back and incorporates the wound into their power, then it can become something really magical. I totally followed that with respect to therapy. I do like, um, like fantasy, but I did not, I do not know what you're talking about, but I get what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> if that's possible. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the biggest wounds, like if you can tolerate it and if you can learn from it and work on it, like you can really shine, I think, and really help people with it. I understood what you said. I just, I just got a little lost in the fantastical part of it. You got, you got a little, a little lost in the sauce there, <laughs> but I mean, that's been the case for me, right? I mean, with my childhood and with my addiction, probably most obviously is understanding what that is from the inside out and working through it allows me to understand people beyond words or understand what their words really mean or be able to put myself in their in their shoes 
And in therapy, you know, I mean, you know this, I'm saying for our listeners, there's this risk of what's called countertransference, which is kind of when a therapist overlays their experience onto you as a client. So you really have to be careful about this, which is why I'm still in therapy, still in groups, <laughs> still working all the time to, to keep that refined. But I do think it is something that can be quite powerful if it is healed. I think if the wound is unhealed, it can be really, really dangerous. So it's kind of this idea of playing with fire in a lot of ways. I'm nodding emphatically for the people that can't see me at what Mark is saying, because it's, it's absolutely true. And I've, I've heard it from people before that, um, like if someone doesn't work through their shit, it gets put onto the client for sure. And it, it's really harmful. And so, um, I think I had someone ask me something about that the other day and I just, I think it's such a good point. Um, yeah, I was wondering, well, I was going to ask you a question. Yeah, you can ask uh, me questions. It's a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering uh, if people tried to uh, anticipate your needs when you were struggling with addiction, because that's everything that you know I did and everything that my clients do. And I just wonder from your perspective what that was like for you or if you were. Honestly, I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know if I was aware of it. I mean, I want to say, yes, I did. I was in relationships at that time. And I think the people that I dated were certainly in that caregiver. I mean, they were either also addicts and we were just two chaos fireballs together, or they were in the caregiver, you know, I'm going to save him. I'm going to make it better. All he needs is love, like kind of coming mm. from a sense of, you know, in Buddhism, they call that idiot compassion, which I love that <laughs> that term, right? But but it really the, the word for it is like enabling me right of like making yeah. excuses a lot of it came from reinforcing my victim mentality that i had at the time where i would come into you know a time to hang out with them or whatever and, and complain about my life and how it was unfair and how it's not like mm -hmm. my fault and all the stuff that i think addicts you know specifically but i think in general people that are suffering can fall into mm -hmm. and the women i would date would be like oh my god that's i can't believe it that's awful. You don't deserve that. You're, you're better than them, which is what I wanted to hear, but it wasn't what I needed to hear. Yeah. And I yeah. think that was anticipating the need either to prevent me from blowing up or prevent me from getting really sad. I never really blew up on people, but I would get pouty. I would get sad and I would disconnect. And I think that's very painful for a partner to be around. So I think if I can look back now with fresh eyes, they were trying to anticipate the need and make sure I was soothed so they could stay in connection with me. So I wouldn't just retreat into myself or into my substance or whatever. Yeah, you've given it a lot of thought. I, I think that that is very valuable for people to hear um, because what happened for me was exactly what you described and is this, this idea of empathy overrides it, but it's not like, empathy necessarily all the time. It feels like empathy, but it's like complete fear of something like unknown, complete fear that there will, like that the person will disconnect and that they might die. And like, and it was just, and I, I've done it, you know, my whole life, like um, even around, you know, my dad a little bit, like um, feel so sad or what someone is going through and how they can't show up that, you know, I compromise myself to be there for that person. Um, so 
with respect to wanting something better, I don't do that anymore. Um, it's difficult, but it's, it's like what you needed and it's what I need too. So. Yeah, I'm wondering, how did you hold that? Because when I was doing my version of this, which is, you know, known as like the nice guy syndrome, I was really angry. Like inside, I was really resentful and felt taken for granted and just pissed off because I was doing all these nice things for people, but I wasn't getting the like secret reward that I was hoping for. Um, from women, it was love, affection, sex, you know, commitment. You know, from people in my life, it was validation, money, status, right? Like I had all these secret contracts, but inside I was just pissed off all the time, all the time. Yeah. But I'm wondering what your internal experience was when you were in this kind of pleasing behavior. So, so for me, it's a little bit easier to attach if we're talking about something like specific. So I'm wondering if there's a certain part of my pleasing behavior that I can look at, whether it's like in work or in a particular relationship. Um, it would kind of be helpful for me to like ground into to say yeah. that. Let's um, uh, let's start with work. We talked about relationships in your first episode. Okay. Um, so <laughs> people pleasing in work led to intense resentment. Yes. But really wonderful feelings of um, feeling validated and seen also for a little while. Um, and then it shifted into um, hating being there, um, not wanting to have anything to do with it, um, not sleeping. I was very angry, but I think I was so confused about what was happening. Like, yes, I was like rageful inside. And I think it came out a little bit toward people. Um, but I was a little confused about why I was feeling that way too. Um, because for me, it seemed like I was, I was doing what I wanted to do. Like I was, I was helping people. I was, uh, the person that people looked to, you know, I was, I was doing a really great job. Um, people wanted to promote me, like all these great things were happening. Um, but I really didn't want to do any of those things. I was just quote unquote, good at it. Um, I could multitask. I could take care of people. I could anticipate things and people like that. Um, and so it got me far, but I was depleted. Uh, you know, and, and every time I get depleted, I get sick. And that's, that used to be the only way that my body could let me know that I was not doing something I wanted to do or doing something I didn't want to do. Um, so I've gotten sick several times in my life, including when I was a child, I had stomach aches all the time. Like I went to the hospital a couple of times. I lost a lot of weight. Like I just had stomach aches all the time. And I didn't know that it was worry and anxiety and, and trying to take care of everybody and make everything okay. Um, and I've, I haven't left many jobs. Like I haven't had so, so many jobs in my life. You know, I've, I've kind of stuck through most of them, but at a great cost to myself, like just handling abuse and, um, ugh, just horrible conditions, just pushing forward. So thank you for kind of like grounding it because it was a little too abstract for me to 
catch on to there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really love that you bring in the jargon word for it for listeners is psychosomatic, right? But what Melissa is talking about of having the anxiety get so loud and be neglected, not of course of your own choice, but be neglected that it becomes sickness. I think, and I'm curious your opinion of this as a you know individual and as a professional, I think this is really common. I think people, a lot of what people's distress and, and some illnesses and, and aggravating symptoms or aggravating something that's already there seems to really be psychosomatic, seems to really relate to unaddressed emotions or they're not speaking their truth, not having their voice out there, feeling like they have to box things up. I'm wondering what your experience or, or opinions about psychosomatic uh, illness is. I think that's a tough topic because, um, and I'm, I'm going to say more, but uh, I, I think it's a very uh, shaky topic because uh, for me, I know when I, um, when I was sick uh, many, many years ago, like I didn't know what was happening to me. I was sick. Like I couldn't stand up for more than a few seconds. You know, I was fatigued all the time. Like I, I, um, couldn't breathe sometimes, like all of these things were happening to me. Like I was, um, what else? Uh, my, um, my body was like rejecting all of these foods and I was getting hives. So like a, a whole slew of things happened at once. And I didn't know what was happening. I went to every doctor to try to understand. And so I was diagnosed with an autoimmune illness. Um, which actually really soothed me hearing that because I didn't feel like I was crazy that like all of these things were not, they actually were happening to me and there were things out there to point to it. And I also know when I started doing things the way I needed to in my life um, and when I eliminated doing everything for everybody, a lot of these symptoms managed way better. Um, and so it's quite possible that I was under 30 some years of stress, um, and fear and, um, anxiety and anger. And it just kind of built up, uh, all the, you know, over all of the things I, you know, working at treatment centers, just all of these things that kind of just build up. Um, the reason I said it's shaky is because I don't want to, I don't want to say that people's symptoms are not real because I know that I would have a very strong reaction to that. Um, and I also know that some symptoms are psychosomatic. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a delicate balance, I think, of understanding where someone's coming from and also helping them wonder if there's anything emotionally going on that's contributing to it also. Yeah. I, I think I'm really happy you brought that up because I was noticing as you were talking, I was like, oh yeah, people might not know the core assumption, which is that it is real, right? Like all of it's real. And I think we, we know from psychology that the mind body barrier is a lot more fluid than medicine might make it out to be. So just because it doesn't have like a genetic correlate or doesn't have, you know, an infectious pathogen doesn't mean that it's not real. Yeah. And of course, like, like it shouldn't be surprising that stress causes symptoms and stress causes illness. Like to me, at least from the way that I view the human system is it's all one thing. 
So if there's disharmony somewhere else, it's going to affect another part of the body because we're just one we're one unified thing. Our mind and our body are the same creature. Yeah, I I agree. I I um I I sometimes wonder if I had back surgery about twelve years ago, and I sometimes wonder if I hadn't been involved with somebody who was an active alcoholic at the time, would I have not, I I needed it. So I I actually did need it, but would I have been in as much pain Mm -hmm. or would, um, would it have been a better transition or like, would, would it have happened later in my life? Um, so I, I believe that yes, what you're saying is also true uh, for sure. Yeah, I think it's all similar, right? I mean, also, if you look at depression or anxiety, which is under that Western category of like mind illnesses, they have body bodily symptoms, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, like, I think it's, it's all, it's all one, one thing together. But I mean, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I hope that the listeners out there can think that just because something is an emotional root doesn't mean it's any less valid than a biological root. And in some ways, it's easier to change because it doesn't require a surgery or it doesn't require medication. It's something that is within our control from an emotional standpoint. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. there's there's some hope in there too. But to think of like the, the full package when you look at the human, about, about your own human experience, you know? Yeah. I was thinking that um, I didn't know. So I, so some anxiety and depression has presented over the years, but for me, it's never looked the same as other people that I know. And mine was just pure rage. <laughs> and it, it was those things underneath. But, I, you know, that's just how I felt inside, not externally, but inside. Yeah, I think that, that's really spot on. So we're going to move into our first commercial break here. When we come back, I want to hear about, you know, how you're rebuilding your life, how you're deciding to move towards something better. Um, how you're building up that that strength and that self-esteem to make it happen. Because I think what you talked about during this segment is where a lot of people are. And a lot of people feel stuck in that place. So I think it can be a real shining example of moving forward out of that, out of that swamp. So thanks for tuning in, listeners. Um, hang on tight through the commercials. I will catch you on the other side. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, .teachable.com. 
You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Melissa Barbash, and we're just having a great conversation about literally from the ashes, right, of, of falling apart, having things manifest as psychosomatic illness, as depression, anxiety, and rebuilding. And Melissa, I've known you for a while, and during part of that, I remember you took a sabbatical from your work. And that was something that still to this day, quite frankly, is very inspiring to me, the ability to take a step back. And to try to reconsider, I know your your circumstances were difficult. You mentioned that it was hard to continue working, but I, I've always really respected you for putting the brakes on life. Where so many people and myself, I can put myself in this category, just keep going, just keep going forward, no matter what. So, if, you, if you're willing, could you share a little bit about that time that in that decision? Yes, I can feel my heart pounding because I I I'm you know talking a little bit about something personal, really personal um, here. Um, And um, I'm also glad to share more. Um, And I feel uh, happy that you were so supportive during that time too. Um, uh, Yeah, I've had to, it's actually the second time in my life that I've had to take a break from work. Um, So it was some time ago uh, and I actually would not have done it. I, I, my body was not going to let me have a choice eventually, um, but I could not have done it without um, my therapist at the time actually saying, stop, you need to do this like right now. Like this isn't, you're, you're taking a break. Um, and it felt so good to have someone else say that to me because I couldn't see it. I didn't, I could feel it, but I didn't know how to say it um, because it's not in my nature to stop. Um, and when someone gave me permission, it was just astounding. <laughs> like it didn't make sense at first, but I just said, okay, like I'll do that um, because it felt so supportive and so loving. And I just, it did, and, she, and she also walked me through like how it was gonna happen. Um, so I had like someone walk with me the whole way. Um, so that didn't feel as scary because if it had been up to me, I think I would have, um, come back too soon. I would have like, um, made it unclear also with myself. Uh, and, uh, it just would have been a mess all over again. So I, I, I did take a really good sabbatical, um, my journey was, um, so I have a family history of my own, of being very fearful of um, medication and uh, of depression and anxiety just due to some stuff in not my personal history, but in my family's history. Um, so the steps after that were, were pretty difficult to try to figure out what do I need? How am I going to get there? Um, how long will this take? And uh, am I going to feel better? And this is all, it was a life change, basically. I was going to start approaching relationships and work and, um, uh, 
anything. I don't even know what else there is in the world, but there's there's a lot of stuff. Um, planning vacations, like I was going to have to approach everything differently mm-hmm. from the perspective of, is this something I need to do? Like, do I need to help this person? And do I, am I the only person to be able to help? Um, do I have to be able to know what's going on? Like I had to take a full inventory makes me think of AA, but like a full inventory, I guess, of my existence, like, and completely change how I approach things. Um, And I've been in group for a long time. Um, I started doing more group to try to work through it. I started, um, I started moving in a different way in therapy also, like the way I want to, and working with people that, um, I don't want to say that I want to help because that doesn't sound very kind, but people who um, match the work that I do. So I'm not trying to fit myself into what someone needs. Like I'm just giving the person what I give. And um, if it matches that person, that's good. And if it doesn't, we should part ways. Um, So I don't try to like alter who I am to fit everybody's needs anymore. I don't know if that's specific enough about the steps that I took uh, yet, but I can go into more if, if, if I don't know if I said any steps that I took really. Like well, to make I, that happen. I, I think you are. And I would love if, if there's more lessons that you learned during that time. I'm liking some of the reflections that you're giving on your work and on your relationships and making these changes that are pretty like revolutionary. Right? I mean, you're kind of changing the whole system. Like with the client thing is being like, hey, I'm going to work with who I can actually help, not who ever walks through my door, which is a total revolution. I mean, it's literally turning it on its head, you know? Yeah, that's what turning my life on its head, right? Like, because I could help everybody my whole life. I could, I could make it work. Mm -hmm. Like I used to be an event planner. I made everybody happy, thousands of people all at once, you know, we're pretty happy. And so this was a revolutionary change for me. Um, some lessons that I learned, um, so I learned that when I am like making up what everybody's going to say or what they're thinking or uh, what they're going to think, um, or how they're going to feel that, um, like I knew this, but in my family, it wasn't okay to just say what you were thinking and feeling out loud or wondering about somebody. So I started to do that. Um, and I, I've got mostly receptive receptivity, um, <laughs> but there are still people I don't do that with, but I just try not to anticipate their needs as much and leave them be. Um, I, I actually got a lot out of learning that people are are actually fine. Like, um, it's not my job to make sure that they're going to be fine. Um, Because my whole life, I haven't been able to do that, make sure that they're going to be fine. Um, uh, I want, this isn't a lesson. I wanted to talk about my dad again, but it's not a lesson. Um, But it is kind of in the vein of what we're talking about, which is like, for the first time in my life, I talked to him about 
know, I asked some questions like, when did you stop wanting to um, see us? Or when did you stop wanting to um, uh, talk to us about our feelings? Um, and that was a really difficult conversation for me. Uh, true to my dad, he said never. And I, I honestly believe him that he never wanted, he never stopped wanting any of those things. Um, but he's not the best at talking about what he wants or needs or feels or a lot of that. <laughs> um, so I believe that he never actually felt that way, but the message was, was that. And so I guess one of the lessons that I learned was that I could talk to him and tell him all my negative feelings and he didn't necessarily change, but he really showed up for it. Um, I feel like I'm going on a tangent. So am I too far away from the question? No, it's, it's all related because okay. I mean, changing your relationship with your father is another revolution. That, that's huge. Mm -hmm. To have those conversations with the parents is also very courageous. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't do it all the time, but like, I know that it's there now. Um, and I can see him like in a different light too. Uh, I also think one of the lessons was, and, and you actually were very helpful in this, like being okay with who I spend time with. Um, like I don't, need to do all this networking and everything with therapists. And like, I don't, like I can just be me, have my practice, be with people that I love. And I don't have to have like, I feel like I want to say a sorority <laughs> just because in my mind, that's like in my, in my college mind, like that's the amount of people that were around, but I, I don't have to like, I, I wasn't in a sorority, but that's just like my idea. I don't have to have everybody around or like I can let people go. And I, I did not, I did not do that either, Mark. I did not notice when people were treating me poorly uh, in friendships or in relationships um, because of that empathy we were talking about before, like empathy and understanding for that people have their own struggles. Yeah, that's such toxic thing it just sounds so good on paper it's one of those things that sounds so good on paper right it's like everybody's got problems everybody suffers and like yes mm -hmm. and that doesn't give them an excuse to treat us poorly no i don't know if i can gossip a little and say that i had a friend um who was a very very good friend uh, for 10 years and we didn't talk for like two years all of a sudden and I, I, I'm somebody that when I was younger, I, I pulled away when I got addict boyfriends because it was like, I was, you know, I could only pay attention to them. Um, this wasn't a person that I ever pulled away from. Um, so we like maintained that and um, she, she got engaged and I think she had her own stuff with the person. But anyway, the whole point is to say that I found myself still wanting to be friends with this person after she told me, I asked her why I was an invited to her wedding or why we haven't talked in two years. And she said that I was on her backup list. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but that feels terrible to hear. Um, but then I never heard from her again. So my point of the story is to say like, I still did it. Like 
five, six years ago, like I still was like, how do I get this person to be in my life? Like she's unhappy. How do I, how do I not get her to be in my life? How do I take care of her? She's obviously unhappy. This is why, you know, she's telling me this is why she pulled away. So I have to, I have to be understanding of her situation, but no, she was a bad friend. Um, and I, I was understanding for a very long time. So I guess that's what I'm getting at. It's like, I hear that a lot with, with my clients too. Like I, I, I want to be understanding and empathetic and I'm like, that's great. And like, where's the, why, I guess, I guess why I had to figure out my why of like, why that empathy and understanding was just like, why did I care so much about that all the time? I mean, that's a great question. Like how did they get deep into the DNA where that was more important than your emotional health? Yeah. I, I think it was, I don't think my dad did it, but I think it was partially. I, I couldn't reject him. Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, like what would happen if I rejected him, you know? So I have to like understand him and have him still in my life. And like, so I'm sure that has something to do with it. Probably. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're both deaf psychologists. So. <laughs> Is this too much of a therapy session now? <laughs> no, I, I think it helps people make the connection. I mean, there's a little tangent. I get to maybe bring it more educational out of the emotions for a minute. Is that it's something that I screen for in, in my clients, this kind of therapeutic assumption that we do have an unconscious and that our past does affect our present. Mm -hmm. It's something that I, I, don't know, I'm, I don't know if I ever didn't believe it because I read a lot of stuff when I was young. But it's surprising how that's very scary for a lot of people, which I guess it's not that surprising. I, I guess I get it, right? To think that there's parts of ourselves that are out of control or that were kind of um, installed when we were younger is like really scary for people to hear. But yeah, for me, I mean, my nice guy behavior directly connects to my mom, right? Of like mm -hmm. trying to manage her aggression and trying and being very afraid and being very angry all the time. And, and just for me, seeing often very painfully that pattern just get projected onto, you know, woman after woman, onto organizations, onto relationships, like just that same thing, just getting projected over and over and having to own the shadow parts of myself that I set it up more often than not, right? Sure. Sometimes I find people that fill that role for me, but most of the times I set that up and I make it happen when it's not even actually happening at all. I'm living in my own kind of perspective, my own bubble of reality, which is, which was very unkind. It's a very cruel bubble to live in. Yeah. Go ahead. You're saying you set it up unconsciously. Yeah. 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 Um, Cause I'd sound, I mean, I know that you're not walking around going, who can I be, you know, pleasing to, or who can I be rageful at today, you know, to get what I need. Um, but it's definitely an unconscious pattern and I'm with you past informs the present. I, I, Absolutely, like 100%, that's how I look at things. And I I do get annoyed with my therapist when she brings it up so often though. <laughs> I'm, she always says- We do um, tend to do that. <laughs> yeah, she always says, you're not gonna like this. And I'm like, I, I'm okay with it now. <laughs> like you can say it now, but no, I didn't like it for a while because I didn't want it to be about, I didn't want it to be about my mom because she's my most secure person. So, and I know that that happens for a lot of people.
Right. Like that's like the sacred cow and that's like the most precious relationship. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just going through that grieving process. I remember I did with, with my parents where angry for a long time, long time, but then depressed and then grieving and really missing what I didn't get. And now hopefully, I mean, it comes and goes away. It's definitely not perfect, but hopefully coming to a place where I can accept them and see them more for who they are and accept capacity and, and limitation and realize that there's not really malicious intent, yeah. but there is unmet needs. And that's the same thing. I mean, it's just that nuance, which was hard. And it's hard for me to maintain sometimes of that. There isn't quite evil in that case. There's, it's not like black and white. It's not that they're mm -hmm. bad people or yeah. that they're like trying to hurt us or that mm -hmm. there's, you know, something wrong with them. It just, it truly is like a capacity. Like it is, you've reached the end of, people's ability yeah it um, impacts you that's that's what happens right like, and i don't expect them to have had like anticipate my needs all the time i think that's a very difficult thing to ask so i was going to have some things not wrong with me <laughs> but i was going to be impacted by some things mm. um i don't i uh i wanted to bring up my current partner but i'm not sure how we're doing on time oh we're um, doing all right so far okay. and if not we can go over to the third segment okay um i uh when you asked about like uh life lessons uh with respect to or lessons from from um having to take the sabbatical um he was very encouraging uh about how to do anything I needed to do uh, to be okay. And I've always been very independent. Like I gotta take care of myself. I gotta make money. I gotta like, I gotta, I gotta do it in case everything else falls apart. So I have to have everything kind of in line. And I think for one of the first times in my life, other than my mom, I believed somebody could take care of me like that somebody could be there for me and um, just be there for me. Like I didn't have to do anything for him to make that happen. Um, so that was, I feel like that's important to say also. Yeah, I think that's really important. And to find, because they're talking about finding healthy relationship mm -hmm. and finding a relationship with someone that doesn't have, I mean, that doesn't have needs that, that came out wrong, but doesn't have like a cloying need or has done some work on their own to get their needs met in other ways. Mm -hmm. You can then have the space to work on this in a different way, right? Yes, yes. Because my whole life, with certain exceptions, when I had needs, it turned into me having to take care of the other person's needs. Mm -hmm. So it was like a second where I was allowed to have a need and then the other person would have a reaction and they would need to be taken care of all of a sudden, um, particularly with addicts um, and my dad. <laughs> like there's, they feel bad or they don't like what I'm saying. And then like, I have to shut this down and show up for somebody else all of a sudden. Um, so I think that's a huge thing that came out of just having to, make complete reversal in my life. Yeah, that happened to me. Not not in my current relationship, but in a recent relationship about, I guess now it's like two years ago, I was dating somebody that that was the case and I had never 
really experienced that before hmm. where like I would use my, you know, my therapy language and my like nonviolent communication or whatever <laughs> bullshit they teach us in school. Right. And I would like be like, I have uh, some feedback for you. And like, here's what I'm thinking and here's what I'm feeling and here's all that stuff. And then they would just like yell at me and break mm -hmm. down and cry and just like, you'd be really hurt or really angry or like, how dare you? You're just like the other people I dated. You're the worst. Like, and then I was like caretaking them. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, I never experienced it before. I mean, I think I've been with people that are like that, but I've never been able to vocalize my needs. So I just kind of kept quiet and just did my thing. Yeah. But that was, I mean, that led me to, you know, break up with this individual, but it just, I just had a flashback to like sitting on the couch and having, then having the conversation of like, Every time I try to talk about stuff, it ends up being your problem. It ends up me then caretaking you. Yeah, yeah. And this individual couldn't couldn't see that. Um, I love that you spoke up for yourself. Yeah, I, yeah, I, was, I felt was, really jealous that you never had that feeling <laughs> before, where you had to take care of the person all of a sudden. But I was also happy for you. Like I'm, I'm happy that Mark has not been in a lot of relationships where his his own needs like have gone well i'm sure they've gone unmet but like where you had to shut them down and take care of someone else. oh no 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 almost all of them have been that i, oh. I just never said anything about oh, it okay. until like <laughs> until this person two years ago oh, you know like okay. typically like i wouldn't say anything i would just like try to be the hero and try to like fill the the ravenous black hole that was the other person hmm. and then get really resentful of them of being like why don't you why don't you see all the stuff I'm doing for you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that's something that you asked before. I, yeah. Was this after you were sober? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I'm I'm a little confused about how you were able to. This is a huge judgment. Um, meet meet people's needs when you were not sober. Oh, I did not. I was super selfish. I was unbelievably selfish, and like fairly low functioning i mean i only used drugs for like two and two or three years like it wasn't a long okay. time i've been sober okay. for about a decade now but yeah when i was an addict it was just like i i didn't have space for anything but myself in my brain yeah it was just all that and it was a lot of like you know disappointing people and a lot of lying and a lot of you know it was it was fun times but there wasn't any depth there yeah but I can be pretty charismatic. So I think I got away with a lot of stuff. <laughs> you that know? happens. I don't think you're you're the only person out there who who yeah. that happens for. Yeah. I hear that a lot. Got away with a lot of oh. stuff. And I also hit a lot of stuff. Like when I was when I was needy, when I was feeling really depressed, I still do this now to some extent. I would isolate. But I, I like I wouldn't show my partner that. I wouldn't I wouldn't often go to them with problems. I remember you saying that from last time because I I said when my partner was depressed like it like I needed to be there and like help and help and help and and you talked about that you kind of moved away. Yeah, I, I just went dark that. and then lied about it. I was like, oh yeah, I'm busy. Oh yeah, school project. Oh, you know, I was on on vacation. Like, and, and I'm just like in my room in a ball, like doing a shit ton of drugs, right? Like, it, there wasn't. I just lied about my situation and tried to pave it over and didn't let the other person in. So I'm much more avoidant attachment, right? Like, like I, I, I didn't go towards the person really. Well, maybe I, I need to amend that. So the person didn't come toward me, <laughs> um, but um, pulled for me to help 
because of the avoidance. Well, I don't know, right? So maybe I was like, that was the whole like me being attuned and making things up about how I needed to be there for that person um, because they weren't answering the phone, right? They were going in their room and isolating and everything like that. But I guess what I'm saying is the pull was there for me. Um, yeah. And I do think, well, obviously avoid an attachment pulls for that. Um, but I, that was so bad for me. Like it was so terrible for me. Uh, I couldn't stop. I, I couldn't stop doing it. And that's like part of the whole shift too. Like um, my therapist had to stop me, you know, from moving toward everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like I knew that over the years, like I've learned it for sure over the years, but I guess I didn't learn it enough or there was something that happened, something that happened on that sabbatical that was different than the other times that maybe I'd recognized that I don't love the word people pleaser. Um, Cause it just, it has such a, like a, a big context. It feels so big. Um, but I, I don't know what else I'm saying about it. I'm done saying that. <laughs> I'm complete with that thought. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we are. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I think we'll do another kind of awkward transition. I We're nearing the end of our um, time together here. I'm wondering, as we're wrapping up, is there any kind of last message that you'd want someone to hear that can relate with your story? Yes. You'll do it again is my last message. It's not gone forever. It's just in your awareness and now you know what you're doing and like it pops up for me all the time but I can see it and I can stop it and I can move out of it and sometimes I let it in too far and it takes a couple days to push it out but it's not gone forever it's just not dictating your life anymore um that's how I feel yeah I think that's very great advice so we're ending here where can people, it's a great conversation. Where can people find you if they want to know more about you or your practice? Um, so my practice is called Recover Me Counseling. Um, it's just www.recovermecounseling.com. I think that's the best way. Um, you can Google my name, Melissa Barbash. You'll find some random podcasts out there. Uh, and yeah, I'm happy to hear from anybody. That's great. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. It was a really yeah. powerful, you know, intimate conversation. Yeah. Um, for those listeners out there, if you like this, please like it, share it, give us five-star reviews. It really helps to build that and get the, the message out there. So thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same. <laughs>